You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lelada G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha's uh, mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. What intended to kill me, kill my spirit, kill my joy, kill my peace, it didn't. I survived. I just survived so many different things what could have killed me, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but it didn't. My Black girlhood, for me, the word would be fear. Mm. I was, um, because of my complexion, my melanin, my deep, rich melanin in my skin, I was ridiculed. When we're seeking things, and I was in the same bucket, you know, trying to feel something good about myself, you know, and when we put that power in the hands of somebody else, then self-esteem becomes very dangerous when you give somebody else the power to give it to you. By the time that my trafficker, well, which I thought was my boyfriend, found me, you know, I was all for it because by that time, I figured nobody else would take anything from me free. I would wow. get paid for my worth. You know, I yes. didn't have the need for money, but I had the need for acceptance. Mm. God has given me so many opportunities to, to speak life into those that have made some choices that were not their own, that were made for mm-hmm. them, just that they were made for me, and right. then let them know that that's not the end, that, that you know, the, the story is still being written. Thanks for joining us for another conversation for Defending Black Girlhood. This should be a really good conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about sex trafficking and specifically how this has been impacting black girls and even in deeper um, in Wisconsin. And I think most times people think Wisconsin is just, you know, dairy farms and cheese, but there's some other stuff that's going on. And so in the studio with me today, I have our engineer, Cassie. How you doing? I'm good. All right. Good to have you here with us today. Thanks for being on the board. And then I have Annette Saleh that is joining us today. How are you doing, Annette? Fine. How are you? Good, good. Glad to have you as part of this conversation today as a woman who's been doing important work in our community for a lot of years. So thanks for being here. And then our special guest out of Milwaukee is Nancy Yarborough-Banks. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. So I love to start off my conversations by just asking, what is one word that you would use to describe your Black girlhood? Powerful. Mm, So tell me more about that. 
Black girlhood to me is being powerful because you're born into a place where there's already a lot of challenges that's set up for you before you even enter into the world. Mm -hmm. And just embracing uh, the fact that you are different in many aspects and how the world has created it to be. But God is greater. So you embrace, you know, however he allowed you to present yourself to the world. And as a young black girl, there were some struggles, you know, with Mm -hmm. self-identity and some struggles with, you know, um, a lot of classism uh, based upon, you know, things we didn't have or things we did have and a lot of ridicule and body shaming and those kind of things. However, I got through that black childhood being a girl and became Mm -hmm. this powerful, innovative woman. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're about to go to church this <laughs> this afternoon. All right. Yes. And then, Annette, how would you describe your black girlhood in one word? My black girlhood is kind of opposite. I was, my black girlhood, I was, for me, the word would be fear. Mm. Tell us more about that. I was, um, because of my complexion, my melanin, my deep, rich melanin in my skin, I was ridiculed. About for that, mm-hmm. girls stayed away from me. Um, I didn't play light skinned girls. They I couldn't play with them because I was too dark. I was in Chicago. That is so. And ridiculous. my childhood was I was going home crying because I was teased about the way I looked. That is so 1895. Mm-hmm. I tell you, my goodness. You know, there are, you know, Nancy, like you were saying, there are a lot of things that we do face as black girls and did face as black girls. Yes. And, um, you know, to the grace of God, we're here now and doing powerful yes. things in the community. So, um, Nancy, I wanted to jump in with you because I know that you describe yourself as a survivor, an advocate and an author. So I wanted to kind of hit all three of those identities for you. How do you describe yourself as a survivor? Well, because what what intended to kill me, kill my spirit, kill my joy, kill my peace, it didn't. I survived domestic issues. I survived drug addiction, alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I survived being raped. I survived being ridiculed, made fun of. I survived uh, suicidal thoughts and, su- and homicidal things that were trying to happen to me in yes. the life that I was pulled into at a, at a young age. So I survived human sex trafficking. So I just survived so many different things what could have killed me, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but it didn't. Wow. Come on now. So now, how old were you when you were involved with sex trafficking? Well, the introduction, if I would make it pretty plain, it always starts at that first line of trauma that you didn't get resolved. Mm. So at, at a young age, I was just like um, the, the co-presenter today was speaking about being ridiculed and talked about and not being able to fit in even at a young age and trying to please people. Mm-hmm. So when I put those two things together, the need to feel loved and accepted and uh, just wanting to be the city and that was when that pull happened very young but mm-hmm. then when I, my first experience was rape of sexual you know my sexual first experience was rape mm-hmm. then i started trying to find myself mm-hmm. in a world where i feel like i didn't fit so of course older people you know they tend to you know draw to those that are vulnerable so that's what right. happened my vulnerability showed through i was trying to wear my big girl underwear too young mm-hmm. i was 16 years old going into 17 and had been introduced 
to cocaine. And by the time that my trafficker, well, which I thought was my boyfriend, found me and he inspired to be a producer, a pimp or help us to make money for the family. You know, I was all for it because by that time I figured nobody else would take anything from me free. I would wow. get paid for my worth. So wow. I put a price tag on what people had been taken away. My innocence was already gone. And I felt as though that now I could have this power in my hand to to turn people's head the way I wanted to be turned. Wow. You know, all the things that you listed and this talking about your first sexual experience being rape, you know, it's that whole foundation that kind of sets up for what comes next and then what comes the next after that and the next after that, that continues to build upon that false belief that we first had when we were violated. You know. This is true. That's the, the first part of the book uh, that was written called The Exodus, where new beginnings happen. The first chapter called is called The Genesis of It All. Mm-hmm. You know, God gave that because there is a place, a starting point for your triumph, but there's a starting place for your your uh, your trauma, too. Yes. You know, and if we identify those places where our life took a drastic turn when we should have said no, when we said yes, Mm -hmm. we have to tap into that and not act like it was just a notion. Mm -hmm. Things that built upon that uh, caused me to be able to say yes a lot easier, even though I was born into a two-family home, middle class. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have the need for money, but I had the need for acceptance. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. And I think often, you know, when we're dealing with with women and girls who have been violated at a young age, yes, I mean, no really gets taken off the page because we, we lose our voice. Yes. And then, would you agree with yeah. that? Yes. And and similarly, um, with my, with me, my uncle's best friend, he mm. I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He took my virginity from me and a whole lot of other things. As I even now at my age, I I still think that it has a lot to do with how I feel about sex yeah. and sexuality. Yeah. There's so much of that just goes to the core of who we are. I just said if somebody wanted to destroy somebody, the best thing to do is to rape them. It just goes at the core of who we are and begins an, exp- an implosion inside of us. So how would you describe yourself, Nancy, as an advocate because uh, at this point in my life, after all the tragedy uh, that led me to advocacy, because I can stand up and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why is because I use my testimony first, and we overcome mm. through our testimony. So I talk about the things that I am naked and unashamed for, what I used to be uh, naked and ashamed. You know, right. So mm-hmm. now I talk about the through, you know, because he brought me through. Yes. So I'm not on that side anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of help. So when we're talking to young ladies and I have the pleasure of talking to young ladies that have now entered into maybe they they're teetering on this is my boyfriend. Are we dating? Am I being groomed? That Mm -hmm. kind of thing. God has given me so many opportunities to to speak life into those that have made some choices that were not their own, that were made for Mm -hmm. them. Just that they were made for me and then let them know that that's not the end. You know, the, the story is still being written. What are you going to do with that pain? Are you going to turn it into power? So I advocate for everything that God brought me through, domestic Mm. issues, drug addiction, exploitation, Mm -hmm. any of those things that he brought me through. I have a voice that can speak to it because anything understood don't need explanation. But you can stand in the gap Mm -hmm. and you can stand in solidarity to help people over. 
those truck those tough times. Absolutely. And I love that you said you advocate for everything you've been through. Because usually the first thing we feel is shame. Mm-hmm. And then our shame brings silence. Yes. And we don't share our testimony. So people don't know that they can get through what they've been through because they didn't know that you went through what you've been through. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, what really sparked me is uh, the publisher that when we were going through trying to get a uh, pen to paper to publish, mm-hmm. it was something that she said. She said, you know what? I love your courage because you will speak out loud what other people are suffering in silence about. Yes. That has been my mantra now. I said, you know, I will speak out loud yes. so other people don't have to suffer in silence. I so love that you it. know that you're not alone. I'll be the first one to say it. I love yes. it. And so your book, The Exodus, can be found at nancy-theexodus.com. And I'm going to spell out the exodus because for some reason today, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so n-a-n-c-y-t-h-e-e-x-u-d-o-s.com, nancy-theexodus.com. You can go there to get her book. So tell us about your book. Why was it important for you to write this? How did you feel? What was the process like for you? You know, um, I felt like it was time that God had already nudged me so many different times to mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. something as a legacy to leave behind of what he's done in my life, mm-hmm. but also give another voice to a survivor, a victim, survivor, advocate, thriver that says, you know what, now I want to speak my voice too. So when he gave me the Exodus, he dealt with me for so long of going back to the word of God and reading the Exodus, why mm. it was so important, why they were captive. And these mm-hmm. already sent the time that they would be able to come out. And I liken that to my life. Like, so many times I had those cycles of in and out, in and out, going back to my captor, mm-hmm. identifying with my captor, identifying with captivity of the world systems and all that kind of Come thing. On, girl. And then that was a there was a, a point in time that he brought me out. Yes. And he, he gave me an out and then he told me to go back in. Mm-hmm. Like he did with Moses. Go back and get people that are out there. Yes. And my son calls me the modern day Harriet Tubman. Because he said, Ma, you go back to the same trenches that you used to walk to help people to come out. But the only thing that I always said to him about that was that Harriet Tubman said she saved a thousand and could have saved a thousand more if they knew they were slaves. So my whole thing, uh, our campaign was hashtag a thousand more because Mm. there's so many different slave mentalities that happen about this particular thing. The inroad, the outroad, why do they stay? Why didn't their family help this? You know, there's so much that can be said about that. So when God gave me that, the process wasn't easy and it wasn't an it's not an easy read. This was actually birthed for an opportunity for people to come out. And we have what's called processing stations. So you don't have to read, even read this alone. The Mm -hmm. companion journal helps you to guide through what you're going through because everybody's life is not cookie cutter. Glory be to God that he gave somebody an opportunity at the end of each chapter to talk about their exodus too. So it's the Survivor Series. Girl, you about to make me speak a tongue up in here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started. I should have brought my tambourine up in this place today. (laughs) My Lord, my Lord. So again, you live in Milwaukee, which has been named one of the top five cities for sex trafficking in the nation. And um, you work a lot with young girls under 18. What are you seeing right now with with young girls in the Milwaukee area in your work? Um, yeah, I work with a lot of girls under 18, but also women that are over 18, too, that 
are still out there and haven't made the decision to come in. Mm -hmm. But with the girls that are now court ordered to some of the places that I'm able to go in and speak with them, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same vulnerability. It's like when you get down to the core of the conversation, getting to know them is unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. It's trying to fit in into a, a a life that was created for no one, but we're mm. trying to make our life fit what seems to be right. And now, because of media and social media outlets and things like that, there's so much more, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. our youth are getting involved in with oh, webcamming yeah. and all this kind of stuff and these different kind of names that are given to these guys and girls that are the perpetrators. You know, I'll be your producer, your music producer. I'll help you get in the modeling mm-hmm. field, but you got to pay for those headshots. Let's do a little soft porn with your friend, and you can do that in the comfort of your home. Nobody else has to touch you, and the money can go right to your account. You know, just the, all the mm-hmm. devious mm-hmm. things that are mm-hmm. happening in the in the dark web, you know, and the right. underground part of things that are happening. And these girls literally just talked about the, the fact that I thought that was my man. I thought that was mm-hmm. my friend. I thought that was somebody that I could trust. You know, those right. kind of things end up coming out. Right. Or because those vulnerabilities are already there in children. Curiosity is already there in children. Right. And, and then th- the need to feel loved and accepted is already there in every child. Right. And it gets amplified when abuse and trauma is entered in. Yes. And let me just tell you, if you are five, six and under, definitely five, four and under, you ain't going to be no model. You know, they tell these lies. You know what I'm saying? And I got caught up in something like that when I was a teenager. And it was it was a while ago, so I cannot remember. It was before the web. Mm-hmm. So somehow I must have seen an ad where this guy was asking for models. And I am 5'4", so I should have known it was a lie. But um, I decided to take my mother with me. And he said he was going to meet me at the McDonald's on the south side. Described his car. And I see the guy pull up, this white man pull up in this black neighborhood in this car that he described. And when I got out the car and he saw I was with my mama, he lied and said it wasn't him. And so, you know, I thank God that I had the sense in my senselessness to take my mother with me because God only knows what I might have done and what might have happened. You know, who even knows who that man was? He might be a notorious you know, could be a serial killer. Right. Right. And so just, you know, um, when we're seeking things and I was in the same bucket, you know, trying to feel something good about myself, you know, and when we put that power in the hands of somebody else, then self-esteem becomes very dangerous when you give somebody else the power to give it to you. So that is true. So now tell me, um, you are the founder and CEO of Fresh Start. I love that. Fresh Start Learning, Inc. in Milwaukee. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing. Well, Fresh Start Learning was born as a, a tool to help those that were working with early childhood education. And the reason why I went into that field first at Fresh Start, where new beginnings happened, God gave that model too because the first two children I had, I didn't have an opportunity to see the formidable years of their life, that the stages of their life. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school and immersed myself in early childhood education, learning all the things that I didn't know about what I missed with my children. And in that, mm-hmm. I became a trainer. Mm-hmm. And then got birth, fresh start learning. Come on. Uh, and I started doing training um, all around and uh, trying to daycare centers and 
uh, places where they have after-school programs, the Boys and Girls Club. Mm -hmm. But in that, God kept having me run into people that were suffering some things inside their natural families. And every time that would happen, I'd be like, what are you trying to say? You know, Mm -hmm. so there are some things that I had hidden in my little closet Mm -hmm. and and stuffed down because now I was, according to society, I I made it. You know, I I had the house, I stopped using, I got my degree and all of this, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't faced all of those things that were in the inside. That's when the advocacy was born. So I started doing, I'm a survivor women's empowerment group first. Mm-hmm. Then God gave us the purpose filled purse where we go out in the street on the outreach to talk with the women with the letters of love and the gospel message in each of those persons. Mm-hmm. And then we adopted programs that have women that are now on the second stage of what, what we call the uh, next phase. They're going into alcohol and drug treatment centers. They're getting their children back. So we mm-hmm. have the purses for them as well, specialized purses for Christmas and um Mother's Day, Easter, and we adopt other programs so that women can have some self-identity and humanity and going into these places and not getting a a plastic bag full of hotel stuff that could be triggered Mm -hmm. for those that have been exploited. And then we have have Simple Concepts, which is our training program that uh, I do all the training underneath of the the hurts of trauma and trauma-informed care and exploitation and speaking engagements to bring awareness and prevention tactics and techniques to uh, those that want to know about what exploitation looks like in your community, you know, that kind of thing. And we partner with a lot of people to make sure when these women come out mm-hmm. and these young ladies come out that they have viable people that understand the next step. So legal yes. issues, healthcare issues, and all those things. We connect with other partners, job readiness, housing, and we're getting ready to launch in 2020 the second housing, the uh, second chance housing program because a lot of our women run into after coming out of their life, mm-hmm. they need to get the education first, and then they need to have housing. And a lot of those things have been blocked because of the tickets and things that they acquired when they were out there, mm-hmm. and they don't have another chance to move forward. So it's kind of like a full circle of things that I know that I mm. needed when I came out. Yes. I made sure that we had that full circle of services uh, for our women. And the last thing that I want to mention is that this, for me, the icing on any cake mm-hmm. is the SOS program. It's called the Sisters of Survival Program. We intentionally hire survivors, mm-hmm. you know, that, that have made their life effort to give back to others. I love uh, it. That, that, that is, we, we're not awesome. looking for the PhDs. We love to have all of that, right. too. You know, I love education, I, and I have gone back to school for multiple things. However, it means a lot to have somebody to sit in front of you that understand you because they've walked a mile in your shoes before. Girl, you know you just had a mouthful. That is wonderful. Um, I wanted to, the purses, I guess I'm a purse thing. (laughs) I will spend, I will wear ugly shoes, but I'm going to buy me a nice purse. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about them purses with a purpose. I love that. What are some other things that are in them? Yeah, God gave that about five years ago. So we wanted to go out to the street where people were still being exploited or making choices mm-hmm. uh, to feed their addiction, what ha- whatever reason they were mm-hmm. out there, to have that conversation and the olive branch of love that only God could provide. So what better than having a purse? Like women love purses. Right. So the side of those are all the toiletries <laughs> and things that you would need for kind of a natural day of life, like toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, lip balm, socks. Mm-hmm. Uh, socks, uh, the handwritten letter of love from somebody that you don't know. So that's a whole mm. other program called mm. the Letters of Love. Come the on. Gospel Message. It has special gifts in there depending on the holidays and depending on uh, what season it is. But we have other trinkets that go inside. But when those persons go to like other programs that we've adopted, they have 
other things in them because now these ladies have a space they can put their stuff. Mm. So, like, yeah, so those purchases um, are earmarked for those that are still out in the street, those that have made the next steps, and those that are going home. So each purse has an uh, an objective and an addendum to add it to each one. So it's kind of like building on it. So when they go or going home, we have gift cards inside of the purses too that could help them go buy something from the Walmart oh, or Walgreens that is yes. theirs. They could pick it out. Nobody yes. had to just give it that's to them. They could pick awesome. out their favorite color or something. I Those love kind of it. Oh, awesome. I love it. So if somebody listening would like to help in that particular work with the purses, how would they best reach you? Well, they certainly can reach out to us um, via phone at 414-800-6269. It's 414-800-6269. Or email at FSL dot inc four three one four at gmail.com is f as in frank f as in sam l as in larry dot inc four three one four at gmail.com and or they can go to our website at fresh start learning dot org because Perfect. on there you can get a free newsletter okay. every month that talks about what mm. we're doing what volunteer options that we have and how we've actually helped the community to get a, a you know a brighter and better uh, perspective of what's happening in our city and in around the world. That is wonderful. That's awesome. So I know that you also did a TED Talk called Myths, Misconceptions, Mysteries, and Mistakes. I love all the iterations mm. of the sex trade. What is just a, a snippet you can give us about that TED Talk? Well, you know, <laughs> when uh, I was actually asked to come there, they kept having these rehearsals and I would never show up mm-hmm. uh, because I told them that I'm not scripted. Whatever God gives me on that day mm-hmm. is what I'm going to say. You'll be mad at me if I come and then all of a sudden I get on stage and say something else. I pray and say, but God gave me those uh, words so that people can understand this is kind of like where you can put categories where people misinterpret what happens mm-hmm. in in the pool and the lure, yes. why people stay, who's a part of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what we can do to combat it. There's not a black girl issue. It's not an right. uh, uh, inner city issue. It's not a, uh, a single parent mm-hmm. on drugs issue. It's mm-hmm. a humanity issue. And the demand is great. And it comes from the love of someone wanting someone under the age of consent. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about it, we'll learn that there is so many mysteries to why people want to even do that. Why would a man right. or a woman want to take somebody else's child and exploit it? Right. What is the, what was the mistakes that happen for us believing that somebody chose this, you know, yes. you know, and what are myths that we have misconceptions that we have about what the life really is. And why do you think that people stay? Why do you think it's a, a multi-billion dollar business? If mm-hmm. it wasn't so many people involved in it, and, and do you really believe that it's unorganized? It has to be an organized right. crime. If it's ranking three underneath guns and drugs, you right. know, mm-hmm. and because it's right. a resale, you know, you can resell a child multiple times in a day. You don't ever have to re up. She's right there or he's right there. And they're there for the taking, whatever beating that you have going on for them, at the highest price, mm-hmm. that is where it's at. And we need to talk about those things. And the, and the reason the misconception is if we, if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. Mm-hmm. No, if we talk about it, people will know that it's not hidden in plain sight. You see it all the time and you're too afraid to say something. Right. No superwoman, no superman. Getting right in touch with the right people and let them do their jobs as law officials and other people. However, you can't do a welfare check. You can't call on the house that's on the block that you see all these cars coming in and out of. These right. young girls are there. 
You can call, you know, you can you can do that at school when this girl is coming truant all the time. But this young boy is changing his demeanor. All of a sudden, he went from being really happy to really sad and secluded. And, and you see all these new tattoos coming on them, and they don't look the same as they used to. Mm-hmm. They don't talk the same mm-hmm. as they used to. You know, the enthusiasm has gone out out of their lives. You know, right. the life has left their eyes. You know, that kind of thing. Let's talk about it. Let's have these kitchen table conversations again. Absolutely. You know. That that is why that TED Talk came about mm-hmm. because it needs to be with a broader audience that understands that those categories are very real and we can find ourselves in one, two, or all of those categories when it comes to talking about things that we're scared to talk about. Absolutely, yes. And I love that um, you bring up the foundation of you know drug abuse and 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 before that. You know, I think when people see folks who have, who have abused drugs, they think that's the genesis of their issue mm-hmm. and don't dig deeper, you know, instead of realizing that. And I think we know better now, you know, but that anyone most likely who's abusing drugs has some trauma that they're trying to forget, that they're trying to dry out, that they're trying to get through, you know, and the need for compassion, because I know that in the state of Wisconsin, some laws have changed, but it used to be if a 13-year-old girl was picked up for prostitution, she wasn't taken to, you know, Dane County Human Services to be processed for a child in need of protection and services. She was arrested, while at the same time, the John, an adult man, would be let go. Mm Mm-hmm. And would be prosecuted. And I thought that it was illegal for grown men to have sex with little girls, you know. And so I know some of that is changing, but I think we still, particularly when we see the faces of black girls on issues, we see them as being, they should have known better. They're old enough. And somehow this is the life that they choose. And I think we don't think of black girls when we think of trafficking, you know. And I think that allows this to be under the radar for them and increases the vulnerability. I know that what it does do, it's not that it's not that it's not seen as a black girl issue because nine times out of ten they think people are doing it because of poverty issues. Mm -hmm. So that the poverty issues is always pointed back to the African American families because they believe that we're doing these kind of things because it's a job, it's an adventure, right? Pimp it is runs in our blood. Our, mm-hmm. My daddy was a pimp and my uncle was a pimp. Now I'm a pimp. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to dance and she wanted to get money. And this is family, you know. So right, they but the difference, situation. though, but Nancy, the difference yeah. is when you talk about, because the language has changed around this because it mm-hmm. used to be prostitution. And it used to only be trafficking if they were crossed over a city or most likely a state and sometimes a country line. And so now they've changed the language and it says sex trafficking. So when you talk about prostitution, there's a certain, I think, society viewpoint that when you're a prostitute, that you have opted, this is the life that you want, this is what you choose, this is what you want, this is what you deserve. But when you talked about sex trafficking, usually a white face is put there and it's talked about victimization and they need saving. We don't usually talk about saving prostitutes. And when we talk right. about and prostitution, we talk about black people. Yeah, you know what, it, it is... It depends on where you are, and I don't uh, I don't debate the fact that you're right. Everything is systemic, and we're talking about how yes. things are viewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that there's always a counterpart to anything that we've endured, that mm-hmm. the other parts of society, especially the, the Caucasian generation, mm-hmm. has a, a whole different viewpoint of why 
they should have this special privilege of what what happened to them. That's why you have all of these men that are able to go in and have sex with these young ladies and not be penalized. You're absolutely correct. However, we, the more that we talk about it, that's it, again shouting it out on the mountaintops, getting people together and saying this child can't possibly be a prostitute because she can't consent to sex. So what happened to that law? So is the law defeating right. itself now? Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So you're right. That, that that conversation continues to need to be had, and legislation needs to be passed on it, which they are they're attempting to do now, to so that the victim is not penalized for being pulled or lured in. But she gets the resources and help that's needed, or he gets the resources and help that's needed for what happened to them, right. you know, which should have been a no-brainer. How, like you said, it, it, it depends on what side of the coin you're on exactly. uh, and, and what your face looks like a lot of times, what kind of services you're provided and what they think that you need. Exactly. Now, Nancy, what are, you know, a couple things that you would, if you were talking to a parent and if they were concerned or they weren't concerned and they need to be concerned, some signs they should be looking out. You mentioned some things earlier about like, if you see them acting different tattoos, you know, there's the affect change, anything else that you would say that a parent should be talking to their kids about and looking out for? Well, you know, that part right there, every time we're asked to talk about red flags, there's so many of them and they always change that. I always just say, you know, if you know your child, you know your child, right? Yeah. But if you don't know your child, get to know your child because yes. you won't see the the little interruptions of change automatically because right. you're not paying attention to the friends. They're now hanging around the language that they're now saying that the more time that they spend on social media, the places that they're willing to go, the boys that pull up to come and see them or the girls that are now, you know, um, investing time in your daughter or in time in your son, you know, and right. if they're showing up with things that, you know, you haven't paid for and they don't have a job, yes. you know, those kind of things. Like all of a sudden that, that sweet girl or that sweet boy, all of a sudden he, they're, they're really sharp with their tongue when they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Disobedience is set in really high. And sometimes mm-hmm. as parents, we chalk it up as teenage rebellion and we need mm-hmm. to start investigating more so of Let's have an open conversation and let them talk. Because if you let them talk, you'll hear what's going on. Right. But instead, a lot of times as parents, we'd be like, oh, no, you not. No, you can't. This is not. You know, and mm-hmm. then what happens is when you say I can't, I can because I will do because you're right. not with me 24 hours a day. Right. But you, you can start asking, you know, about different things. So where, who is Johnny? Where did, where's Johnny go? Go to school. Did he go to your school? You know, because for me. I had a guy pulling up when I was 17 years old and he was at least 35 or 40 and he was a drug dealer. I didn't get asked a lot of questions because he gave money to my sister that was watching my child or bought Chinese food or mm-hmm. he wooed them over. And that's mm-hmm. what ends up happening. Yes. This familiar kind of thing, knowing your family, ask questions, parents, right. ask questions because you yeah. can and, and right. you look for those answers and then you, you, you can have a right to go in your child's room. And that's mm-hmm. one thing. I don't like where people say, well, you know what? They got to have it. Not in my house. You don't have no privacy. Okay. Take those phones at 10 <laughs> o'clock PM. What your child need to be talking to somebody after 10 o'clock for? You know, right. that's pillow talk. Right. Are you paying that bill for that cell phone? Even they pay it and put it away. It's time for bed kind of thing. Put structure back into your yes. household. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, somebody else is going to structure your child on how to think. Do they still have choices? Yes, but they'll have multiple choices because they know that you care and you're listening. I know that's right. And I think especially social media, because a lot of people, you know, in my age bracket, you know, they are not necessarily that savvy, but you better savvy yourself up 
when you have kids because they're on social media. And, you know, when my kids were younger, I let them have certain levels of social media. But I told them I was going to be your friend. And if I couldn't be your friend, then you can have nobody else being your friend. You know, so I had no problem with, like you said, put the parenting back in parenting. You know, I'm not your your little friend. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to like me. I love you. So my job is to make sure that you're safe and putting those boundaries back in there and being aware of what's going on, checking their phone. I would do periodic checks. Let me see your phone. I would look through the text message and you know, the Lord would lead you to where you need to go. <laughs> you know, he will. One time I asked my son to use his phone. He act funny about it. So, you know, my discernment kicked in. I had to have a tell of the shot. I said, well, let me see that phone boy. And I picked up the phone, flipped it up, just randomly picked the message and saw one of his little friends had sent him a picture of these little girls. And mm-hmm. I, I, he he understood a new side of me that day. But th- it came from me knowing, and I had an opportunity to talk with him about a good conversation, you know, about being careful because our boys get caught up in this mess. And the next thing they know, all these opportunities are going off for them because they are being, you know, caught up in stuff that they should have never been caught up with. But we got to know what our kids are doing. And I love that you said, if you don't know your child and you can notice their changes, get to know them so that when those changes come in, you can definitely see them. Now, how can people who need your services, how do they get in contact with you? They can actually call the number again at 414-800-6269 to find out more about the services that we offer for crisis stabilization for families, one-on-one mentorship for your child. We have a seven-week program that we do through our book, The Exodus, with its companion journal. We also have a 10-week in in the game in the emotional response to those that have been trafficked. We offer the supporter training. Um, There's just ways in which you can contact us about anything, clothing, toiletries, any of those things, legal issues. We'll connect you. Whatever we don't have, we'll connect you, warm transfer you to our partners so you can get the help you need. and I would be, I would love to have a one-on-one with anyone that's facing some issues with their children that don't understand what's happening. We can talk about it. Let's see how we can make a difference. And again, that website that we have or email is fsl.inc4314 at gmail.com. I love it. And I love the work that you're doing in the heart and the spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. For that powerful work that you're doing and this being a catalyst in the lives of those who've been thrown away. And so we look forward to having some future conversations with you and connecting with you. I know we're going to be doing some work together with um, getting some inspirational art and some black dolls to you to get out to your girls that you're working with. So we're looking forward to supporting you and your work in that way. Certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. And we'll be praying for you and the work that you're doing, sister. Thank you, sister. I appreciate that. Okay, God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Are you still recording? Oh. Talk close to the mic. Oh. And um, Africa's and other countries, you know, they have where they come into womanhood and they come into manhood and they have these things that they do they teach them and they take them places and they basically teach them how to be a man how to be a woman Mm -hmm. um i think that's important and we don't have that here um 
a lot of times I think we think they got it. Right. They're supposed to just catch it. Mm-hmm. They yeah. got it. She's got it. She know what she's doing mm-hmm. when she doesn't. Right. And even um, even with a situation like when I was molested and when I told my uncle about it when I was an adult. See, all those years that went by, I didn't say anything. I was 13 when it happened. But when I told my uncle about it, he remained friends with this man that raped me when I was 13. So he didn't break off friendship with him. And that bothered me. I know that it did. And, you know, and that happens way too often because we talk about sometimes the mothers who don't protect, but there are other people who don't protect either. You know, when I came out about my stepfather sexually mm-hmm. abusing me, mm-hmm. I have family members that said, well, he's always been a role model to me. He's always, you know, I don't have any problem with him, you know, so they didn't feel like they needed to adjust their relationship with him. And I'm just thinking, mm. like what, really? Right. And they had kids. And they had kids and were willing to prove how safe this person was. Their need to, and this is just not this person, but so many people, mm-hmm. their need to clean up who this person was will cause you to put your own children in harm's That's way. Because right. you got to prove the fact that this is who you thought they was and not the person that I'm saying that they yes. were. Yes, and you know, and the children aren't safe if if no, he's around. No, absolutely not. Absolutely, they're not safe, and there's no reason to believe that they're safe. And you know, for me, I just don't get it. You know, because to me, my bottom line, there's a lot of things you can move on through, work through as mm-hmm. a friendship, mm-hmm. work through as a relationship. Yes, but if you fucking kids, I'm done with you. Yes. That's going to be my bottom line. I'm mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want whatever is on you jumping on me. I don't want you mm-hmm. around kids that I know. You know, I'm done. And if we more so as a society would begin to put up barriers and blockades of around these men Mm -hmm. who are coming into our families, coming into our home and violating our children, we would have more safe homes. Yes. Now, my mother, she would ask me, was my stepfather touching me anywhere, you know, on my vagina? Is he, you know, touching my breasts? And I was afraid when she told me that. I got scared. Mm. I didn't tell her that I was scared, but I was like... And I believed that even if he had, which he didn't, I would have been too afraid to tell her. Because when she told me that, I I just froze up and I was scared. How old were you at the time? Like 11. And then, you know, I, I reflect back when we start having these conversations about sexual trauma, particularly with black women, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of things that our mothers yes. have done and said and say to us. Because of their own sexual trauma. They don't tell us yes. their stories, but their stories live out and you can't spend a night over nobody's house. Mm-hmm. Don't be asking nobody for money. Like one of the worst spakers I got as a little girl 
was because I was crazy about money. <laughs> I was crazy about money. I used to wash my money. I would iron my money, you know. And my mother later told me she spanked me because she didn't want men to be able to use money against me, mm -hmm. you know. But then lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, though, she still didn't do nothing when she found out that her own husband was. You know, that when I found out your story, it was another one of those, you know, just hit me right in my heart. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And he's still walking around. Oh, yeah. Last time I saw him, he was at a basketball game. I guess that was his wife or girlfriend and the granddaughter was there. She was a little girl. She was with them. Well, you know, when he and my mother finally broke up, you know, I was over 25 at the time, mm. you know, and I revealed my abuse when I was about 11. Okay. So when they finally kind of broke up, he did start going with this other woman who had a daughter. Call me a lying bitch if you want to. And I was called a lying bitch by his sisters and all of them. Oh, yeah. Do that if you want to. I can be a lying bitch, but don't be a dumb bitch and put your kids yes. in the space with this man that I said abused me alone. And who who talks about that if it's not real? Who wants somebody right. to know that about them? Exactly. That is not something you want to talk about. Exactly. And, you know. And it, when you do, it's real. Exactly. Because one day what had happened was his, um, his niece, and we're cross-related. So she's related to me by blood. She's related to him by blood. And she had told me. That they, when my book came out, there had been this big family meeting, mm -hmm. and they were talking about suing me and whatnot. Oh my God, sue really? Me. Sue me, motherfucker! I want to see you in court. Sue me. So they were talking about suing me and everything, and then the aunt was talking about I was a lying bitch. Well, my cousin came and told me because she knew I wasn't lying, mm -hmm. and she came and told me. So I saw his sister one time on Juneteenth, and she smiled up on my face. Hey, Lil, how you doing? I was like, don't you want to ask me a question? Oh, what? I hate when people come smiling in my face and I know you stabbing yes, me back. Yes. Because there ain't nothing I need from you. I don't want y'all right. to meet you. So, um, oh, yeah, well, I did want to ask you about that because I can't believe it because George always treated you like he was, y'all was his kids and blah, 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 blah. And I said, you're right. We never wanted for anything, we had a comfortable life. So, keeping that in mind, why would I lie on that person? What would be my motivation on lying on a person who did was quote unquote from the outside good? And he's one of the people too. He's one of those people who, you know, have groomed other folks because he's a person who's going to give you his last $5. Your car uh, broke down. He going to fix your it. tire. He going to be nice. Ha ha ha. You know, this smiling all the time. He's a fucking pedophile. And I know I can't be his only victim. Right. I know I can't. You know you're not. You know, statistically, they tell us about this. So, you know, so this is a, a, a deeper conversation, you know, because I know our family lines cross. And, you know, yes. I named a few people up in the book. You did. You were so courageous. I named a few people up in the book. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes so, you just got to stir shit up. So what happened when I bought your book and you signed it, right? Yeah. So I carried it with me because I was reading it. Yeah. So I was attending Madison College at the time. And the 
instructor asked me if I was willing to speak to a young woman who her cousin had, he was um, raping her. Oh. And I, I don't know why she picked me out, but I said, sure, I'll talk to her. Yeah. So it was a young black girl. She came and we talked and she told me what happened. And I told her about this book that I was reading, which is your book. I can't live like this anymore. Yes. And I said, I'll let you use it, but you have to promise me you're going to give it back. I said, I think this will be good for you. And it's a resource in there for you. And she said, okay, but she didn't give it back. So I saw her at another event and I said, where's my book? Okay. And she said, oh, it's, I moved and it's packed in my mom's whatever, but I never got another one. So I'll have to get another one. Yes, I need to get you a book. It was signed by you, so yes. that was special to me. Yes, I will get you another one and I will sign I was, it for you. The little that I read, I was, uh, you know, I was feeling for you. And I feel like even now, the pet will be able to go and do time for the crime. Because that was a crime. I agree. I agree. It should be like murder because you kill somebody's soul. That's right. Yes. So I'm going to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Yeah, we could talk about this more and mm-hmm. explore this. I appreciate you sharing. Yes. All right, we done for real, for real, before yes. they kick us out of here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was a good conversation. And look, we mean this thing. We are not playing. We are committed to defending black girls. And look, we want you to get involved. Please visit Lalata.org to explore the work that we are doing to defend black girls to be safe wherever they are. And look, while you're there, please sign up for our mailing list so that you will not miss one single fearless conversation.